similar to the last few weeks in John chapter 9, where there were three sermons that were necessarily integrated. They were connected with each other. Uh, John chapter 9 and John chapter 10 are very much connected with each other. We'll see how that is. Uh, But over the next probably three or four weeks, we'll be in John chapter 10. And again, uh, we want to make sure we're keeping the overarching theme of this, uh, uh, the theme of John chapter 10, which is Jesus revealing himself as the good shepherd, though we will break it down into bright, bite-sized pieces. We want to keep the overarching theme. So this week in the first 10 verses, we'll be particularly looking at uh, what the shepherd has come for. The, the main theme here is Jesus saying, I, I'm, I'm the shepherd calling my sheep out in order that they could have life in me. So he is the good shepherd calling his sheep to himself to have life in him. Next week, we will look more at uh, what the shepherd must do to accomplish this. Namely, he must lay down his life and then what this achieves for us. And then we will look more at the assurance that uh, this gives us and looking at the final defense that Jesus gives at the end of chapter 10. But this week, today, now, we will be in the first 10 verses, which is looking at this overarching theme of the good shepherd coming to call his sheep to himself to have life that is only found in him. So let's read the first 10 verses here of John chapter 10. This is God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is God's word. Again, the theme here, the good shepherd, Jesus revealing himself as the good shepherd. He has come to call his sheep out of their sheepfold to himself to have life in him. Now, for Jesus to be calling his sheep to himself out of this place implies that his sheep are somewhere that they ought not to be. But the place that they ought not to be isn't so much with a physical location. It's not about a physical place. Rather, the place that they ought not to be is because of those who are ruling over them. That's why they ought not to be there. There are thieves and robbers who are harming the sheep. They're they're a threat to the sheep. Now, this is the case, uh, particularly as we see 
the link between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10, there is a theme that travels all the way through these chapters, namely that it continues to be an attack upon the Jewish leaders to an extent. Part of it, one half of it is looking at the beautiful picture of redemption that this shows us. The other half is still this sort of polemic, you might say, this attack upon the Jewish leaders who are lording it over the flock. They have a self-centered, domineering leadership that is harming the sheep rather than causing them to flourish. So remember John chapter 9, we have this picture of the blind man who is healed as a picture of uh, the new birth, effectively. His blindness being healed, where he comes from uh, utter darkness of blindness to sight, is like us being brought from death to life. It's like our spiritual awakening, where our, the, the scales of unbelief fall off our eyes and we see with clarity Jesus the Christ. But that passage was also a rebuke upon the Jewish leaders who are blind to their own sin. And that's the irony of it. They, of course, think that they can see, but they are the most blind of all people. So the rebuke upon the Jewish leaders continues in John chapter 10 as Jesus reveals himself as the good shepherd. And to see this, let's get the Old Testament background so that we can understand what Jesus is talking about, because this idea of him calling himself a shepherd is a loaded term by Jewish standards. It carries a lot of weight with it. The language of good and bad shepherds is connected to a number of passages in the Old Testament. Uh, there's a few references in the book of Zechariah, but we think particularly of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, we have probably the most uh, well-known passage that talks about good and bad shepherds. And in Ezekiel 34, we have Yahweh, the God of Israel, rebuking the Jewish leaders, and he calls them shepherds. He calls them shepherds of the sheep. So in Ezekiel 34, if you do have your Bibles, turn there, I'll read it out. Um, in Ezekiel 34, midway through verse 2, here is uh, the God of Israel rebuking the Jewish leaders, those who were ruling over God's people Israel. And midway through verse 2, he says, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now, this is an extreme charge against the religious leaders. This is a, a, quite a rebuke upon the leaders of Israel at that time. And not much had changed 600 years after that was written to the day that Jesus would have been saying these words of being the good shepherd. Not much had changed with the leaders of Israel at that time, because we know elsewhere in Matthew 23, for example, Jesus describes the Pharisees as blind guides. They're hypocrites. Outwardly, they appear righteous, but inwardly, they're full of hypocrisy and dead people's bones. They're like whitewashed tombs. Now, back in Ezekiel 34, after rebuking the Jewish leaders of that day, from verse 8, Yahweh goes on to say, Because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but they have fed themselves, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand. I will, this is God saying, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths so that they may not be food 
for them. Now, what is incredible about this language here, this use of shepherds, is that God himself is calling himself a shepherd. Notice he's saying, I'm going to rescue my sheep because I'm the true shepherd. I'm going to come. There's been shepherds, under shepherds, you might say, who I've entrusted. They're supposed to be ruling my people, but they've been domineering over them. They've been harshly treating them. And now I'm going to come to rescue my sheep. In verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, God says, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. That is a beautiful picture of God's desire to dwell near his sheep, of God's desire to protect you and I, his people. This is the rich imagery that we think of, of course, in many of the Psalms. We think of Psalm 23, the most well-known Psalm, arguably, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. Or in Isaiah 40, the passage we read out at the beginning, God reveals himself as the great and awesome God who comes with might. How is he going to do that? He's going to tend his flock like a shepherd and gather the lambs in his arms. So the Jewish audiences, as we come back to our passage in John chapter 10, the Jewish audiences that Jesus is speaking to, or at least are overhearing him, who are very familiar with the scriptures, they are not missing the weight of this as Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd. Now, this is both Jesus revealing himself very clearly as the God of Israel, Yahweh, there's only one shepherd. Yahweh reveals himself as the shepherd and Jesus comes along saying, I am that good shepherd. I'm going to seek and save the lost. And it is also a clear rebuke to the Jewish leaders who are thieves and robbers. The thieves and the robbers are the Jewish leaders who have snuck into the sheepfold to harm the sheep. They are the same selfish leaders that God spoke of in Ezekiel 34, who feed themselves and they leave the sheep exposed to all sorts of danger. And we saw this in chapter 9. Remember the story of the blind man. Remember how the Jewish leaders treated him. They scorned him and mocked him and they sent him out. They excommunicated him effectively into this place of shame. And the beautiful picture we have that connects these two is Jesus then models so well what we read in Ezekiel 34, where God says, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Because what do we see Jesus doing after the blind man is cast out of the synagogue? Jesus seeks him out, intentionally seeks him out. He finds him. And that is where the blind man has his spiritual sight awakened, where he calls upon the Son of Man. See, this, this flows so very well, the, the link between these passages with the blind man receiving his sight, because the blind man who then professes faith in Jesus Christ, the key thing to remember is that he doesn't then go off after not only his, his physical blindness is healed, but his spiritual blindness is healed so that he can see Jesus for who he is. After that, he doesn't then simply go off to live his own life. He is called to follow the good shepherd. He's called to follow Jesus. No one is ever called to trust in Jesus and then go on and do whatever you please. No, you're, you're called to live a life of absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ. 
So when we have our spiritual eyes open to see the beauty and wonder of Christ, we are not then left to our own devices. We are sheep and sheep need a shepherd. If you haven't noticed, I won't labor this point because I feel like it's quite clear. Sheep are very helpless and uh, quite stupid animals, really. I mean, they need, they're, they're helpless. They, they are defenseless. They're not going to attack anyone. They're going to be attacked. They're easy prey for people. They need a shepherd. It's not exactly a compliment to be called sheep. We need a shepherd. We need someone to care for us. We need someone to follow. So the natural pathway for those who have been brought to life in Christ, who have had their spiritual awakening so that they see who Jesus is, the natural path is that they, as it says in our passage, they go in and out and they find pasture while under the care of the great shepherd. The point is that they are under the care of the great shepherd. So Jesus is revealing here that he is not simply coming to give sight to the blind. That's an aspect of it. He's coming to give sight to the blind. He's coming to uh, spiritually awaken people so they would see who he is. But he is also coming to lead those who then see to good pastures. He's going to lead them beside still waters to refresh their soul, to be their shepherd. He's coming to lead us so that we would forever remain with the good shepherd. Now, as we look at our passage today, the big picture again is that in the midst of the selfish shepherds, Jesus comes to call his sheep to himself as the good shepherd. And this passage here is a bit of an allegory. We know that because in verse 6, It specifically says it's a figure of speech, which the word there is, it means it's symbolic or it's an allegory, Uh, similar to a parable, though parables often usually just have one distinct meaning. uh, In a similar way, this is uh, symbolic of something that Jesus is saying. So we always want to be careful of allegorizing scripture. That's never a great thing when all of a sudden you become uh, the, the David tackling your Goliath, whatever it is. We always want to be careful of allegorizing scripture. But here, the very fact that John says this is a figure of speech indicates that we should be looking at this story in a symbolic way. We have license to look at this in a symbolic way. So to see the symbolism, we have to examine the various aspects of this story. So firstly, what is the setting and who are the characters of this story? So the setting that we see here is a sheepfold. A sheepfold back in ancient Israel, quite similar actually to what we see around the cola up there. That's that basketball court where you have these big blocks and that's what it would have been like, these big blocks uh, that enclose the sheep sheepfold with a gate. And the sheepfold is, of course, a place of residence for the sheep. It's meant to be where sheep can stay. But it seems that what we have in the picture here is the kind of sheepfolds that were very common in Israel, where you had people who had their own sheepfold in the country, but often shepherds would bring their sheep into a city and there would be a sheepfold in the city where multiple shepherds could bring multiple flocks into that sheepfold and there would be a gatekeeper, a hired worker, who would be there specifically to keep the flocks there overnight so the shepherds could get some respite. And then what would happen is in the morning, each shepherd would come to call his flock out of that sheepfold to then take them wherever they need to go. So the picture you have is of multiple flocks in one enclosure 
Shepherds have left them there and then the shepherd will come back to call that flock out, to call his own sheep out. So that's the picture we have here. Various flocks of sheep in their place of temporary residence. That's key. This is not where they're supposed to be permanently. This is a temporary residence and the sheep are waiting for their shepherd to call them out. Now, what about these other characters? We have thieves and robbers. We have a gatekeeper. We, of course, have the good shepherd. So the picture we have is of this sheepfold, multiple flocks. The sheep are waiting for their shepherd to call them out. We've seen that the gatekeeper was this hired worker. He was there to just temporarily make sure that the sheep stayed in the flock, he, he, uh, sheep stayed in the, the sheepfold, to make sure that no uh, unnecessary sheep would come in or out, to make sure that no thieves or robbers would come in. But we do have here thieves and robbers that Jesus talks about. And because there is a gatekeeper, the thieves and robbers, of course, have to come through by unlawful means. They have to climb over. They're not able to come through the gate because the gatekeeper knows they're not the shepherd. So they try and enter in through unlawful means. They try and circumvent the right channels and climb in another way. And the thieves and robbers that we have here They are just like the shepherds in Ezekiel 34 who are simply selfish. They have no concern for the sheep. They're trying to feed themselves. The sheep, perhaps they feel they can benefit from, but they have no genuine concern for the welfare of the sheep. And in the midst of thieves and robbers who climb in through unlawful means looking to harm the sheep, Jesus now introduces the good shepherd. So in verse 2, Jesus says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. A shepherd who knew his sheep and who was known by his sheep would have his call. The sheep would know the call of the shepherd. So the sheep would come And they would follow the shepherd as he comes, as they recognize his voice. There may be other flocks in there. And the point is that the other flocks who don't belong to that shepherd won't hear the shepherd. They'll just keep nibbling on the grass there and keep doing their thing, whatever it is that sheep do. They will not listen to that shepherd. Also, if the flock of the good shepherd hear the voice of another person, the implication here is that they will not follow that shepherd. Each flock is only going to follow the voice of their shepherd. Jesus here is revealing that he is the true shepherd of his sheep. So get the picture again. There is a sheepfold, multiple flocks. It's the place of temporary residence for them. There are some sheep who belong to the good shepherd, some who don't. And the key point here is that the sheep who do belong to the good shepherd will hear his voice. They will. It is a matter of certainty. It's the same thing that Jesus said in chapter 8, 47. All those who are of God hear the words of God. It's a matter of certainty. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And this is the wonderful reality of what we call the doctrine of election. This is part of the picture that is being revealed here that we will see much more clearly in verses 27 to 29, this idea of the true sheep of God hearing his voice. 
those who truly belong to God will hear his voice. If this was not the case, if we cross a bridge of application, we think about Jesus calling his people out of the world to come to have life in himself. If it was not the case that God himself was going to assure that, if it was not the case that God was going to make sure that that happened, if he didn't guarantee that his sheep would hear his voice, then no one would follow Jesus. No one would follow him. We don't, in our natural desires, enjoy the voice of Jesus. We love people who will tickle our ears. We love our own voice. We love voices that will tell us it's okay to follow whatever sexual desire you please. It's okay to follow your own desires. We like those voices. We don't like voices that tell us to, to actually submit to someone. Scripture so clearly teaches that those who truly belong to God will hear the call to come to him. And there is great assurance in this. There is such great assurance that we have in these words because the language here is that of certainty. There is no ambiguity in this. Jesus is not saying my sheep might hear my voice. If I get close enough, he's saying my sheep will hear my voice. They will. It is a matter of certainty. Like he says in chapter 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. They will come to me. It is a matter of certainty. More than that, in verse 5, his sheep will not follow a stranger. And if you look at verse 5, we don't see it in the English translation, but in the original language, it's much more emphatic. Where it says a stranger, they will not follow. It's taking two negatives to basically say a stranger, they will never, ever follow. That's probably a better translation. It is absolutely emphatic to say my sheep will never, ever follow a stranger. Sure, they may get sheep, always get led astray at times, but eventually they will come back to the good shepherd. They will not consistently follow a stranger. They will come to me because they know my voice. And notice the intimacy with which the call comes. The good shepherd calls them by name. What shepherd out there is able to distinguish every one of his sheep by name? We just pluck that thing in their ear and they have a number and we remember what, what they are. But what shepherd actually knows the name of all of their sheep? This is what Jesus is saying. Only the Christ as the good shepherd who has our names written in the book of life before the world began, he knows all of his sheep and he will call them. It may take years and years for you to hear the voice of Christ, but all his sheep will at some point hear his voice calling by name. Come to me and be saved. So a question of application for us. Do you love the voice of Jesus? Do you love his word? Does it sound pleasing to you? Do you love the word of God? Or does it sound like a stranger? Does it sound like a laborious task to be immersed in his word? The sheep of Jesus will hear his voice. And we, of course, primarily hear his voice in his word. We hear his voice now in the preaching of God's word. What a relief it is for me as a preacher to know that insofar as I am faithful with the word of God, Christ himself is speaking to his sheep, not me. Christ is speaking. That is my hope. 
If it's dependent upon me, then I'm hopeless. But the very fact that Christ is speaking through the preaching of his word is tremendously comforting. Does it sound pleasing to you? The sheep of Jesus will hear his voice. They will follow. They will love the voice of their shepherd. So this is the setting in the main characters. The sheepfold, the good shepherd coming to call his sheep out to have life in him. Now, what is the main point and purpose of this story? Jesus has come as the good shepherd to call his sheep out from the thieves and the robbers, out from wherever they are, whether we understand the sheepfold to be uh, the world, if we can cross that bridge of application, of course, this is in the context of Israel. Wherever it is, we know that the sheep are in a place of temporary residence. They must be called out to come to the good shepherd. And in verses 7 to 10, Jesus now expands on what he has just spoken about. This helps us to see the main point and purpose of the story. So we have verses 1 to 5, and then there is this uh, misunderstanding we see in verse 6. They don't understand. So Jesus goes on from verse 7 to then expand upon what he has just been talking about. Now, what's key is this is not so much a clarification as though every detail from verses 1 to 5 correlates with something that Jesus now talks about. It's not so much a clarification. It's rather expanding. It's like Jesus takes one point of uh, what he has been talking about, perhaps the main point, and then he expands it so that we see it from a different vantage point. That's what's happening here. The point of this is to expand on the idea of how the good shepherd calls his sheep to himself. How does he do it? We, we can see a bit of that because in verse 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And now here we know he's taking something and expanding it in a different way because Jesus already said that he enters by the door. So how can he enter by the door and also be the door? And I don't think we're meant to get bogged down on that point. I think what's happening here is Jesus is taking that point and expanding on it in a different way to home in on how the good shepherd calls his sheep to himself. And the point is that he calls his sheep to enter through the right door, which is himself. When he calls his sheep to come to him, he calls them to come to him at the exclusion of every other way. There is no way to circumvent Jesus Christ. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus. So he calls them to come to him in the way that he demands at the exclusion of every other way. It's a similar thing to what Jesus will go on to say in John 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is very exclusive. If you do not come through Jesus, you are not finding your way to the abundant pastures that he provides. You cannot circumvent this door. You cannot arrive at God through the voice of Muhammad. You cannot arrive at God through Buddha. You cannot arrive at God through any other means. Any other new age, secular idea of finding your way to God, you simply cannot do it. Jesus says you must come through me, otherwise you're not coming to God. That's it. I'm the only way. Now, this is a timely reminder for us in a world of increasing 
selfishness and aversion to cost. We're in such a comfortable environment that it conditions us to struggle with this idea because there would be many people both inside and outside the church who would like the idea of what Jesus is saying in principle. They like the idea of having a good shepherd, someone who will care for their souls, someone who will lead them to good pastures. That sounds very appealing. But what we would prefer is that if Jesus did that by simply changing our environment, just change our environment, give us the good pastures, Change our environment so that you are leading us beside still waters. But the difficult thing is that that requires people to enter through the door. That's what we don't like. We just want changed circumstances. We don't want to come through the door because to come through the door requires us to abandon ourselves. To come through the door requires us to die to ourselves. See, this is synonymous or necessarily tied to Jesus' call to take up our cross and follow him. That's the non-negotiable of coming to this door. You must take up your cross. You must take up an instrument of torture, which is to say you have to die to yourself. You have to abandon every selfish desire, lay no claim of merit before me. And like we said last week, nothing in my hands do I bring only to the cross do I cling. This is the pathway to abundant life that Jesus is offering. There is only one way to these good pastures, and it is to die to yourself. The world would prefer changed circumstances. Jesus does not leave the door open for that. The only way to quote unquote change circumstances is to come to Jesus Christ as the sole treasure of life at the exclusion of everything else. Now, part of the point here is that although we know that the true sheep of Jesus will hear his voice. And that's why with as great as the cost is, as great as the cost is to, to hear, you must die to yourself. The true sheep of Jesus will say, Christ is more worthy than all of the treasures in this world. He is far more valuable than everything in this world. So if you want me to lay it down, it's gone. Part of the point is, though that is the case, the true sheep of Jesus will hear his voice. They will see him as the greatest treasure of life and existence. But part of the point is also that the voice of thieves and robbers often sound very enticing. Thieves and robbers often sound very enticing. They offer to us a different door. They say, you know what? I've actually found a different way to get to those good pastures. You don't have to die to yourself or you can just say that you do, but you can still live like everyone else. Thieves and robbers are often very enticing. So although Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, the temptation of listening, the temptation of succumbing to thieves and robbers is no less real for all of God's sheep. The word thief here actually conveys deception. It's not like we're imagining some thief in a balaclava that's just easily identifiable. The idea of a thief here, different to robber, we usually use them synonymously, but a thief conveys more of deception. A robber uses more brute force. But a thief here conveys the idea of deception. And a good thief doesn't blow a trumpet when he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He acts in stealth. He is deceptive, difficult to detect. That's what's going on here. 
Likewise, the religious leaders, both in ancient Israel and in our day, are difficult to detect. They don't necessarily look like thieves. Jesus calls them thieves because that is what they are at the core of their being. But elsewhere, Jesus describes these people as wolves in sheep's clothing. You can't tell that a sheep is a wolf if they're dressed in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. They smell like a sheep. The Pharisees, likewise, they outwardly looked righteous. They outwardly gave the appearance of being genuine followers of Yahweh. But Jesus says inwardly they are filthy. Jude, in his letter right toward the end of the Bible, he describes some of these false teachers as those who creep in unnoticed. These are people who pervert the grace of God and turn it into licentiousness, who take the grace of God and turn it into something that actually goes against God. And he says they creep in unnoticed. Thieves and robbers of our day often give the appearance of good shepherds. They look like people who are genuinely telling the truth. They offer something that superficially seems desirable to the sheep. But their end goal is really to starve the sheep, just like the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34. Their end goal is really to feed themselves and starve the sheep. And we will look more at the idea of false shepherds next week. But this is how it so often is with false teaching. There is always just enough truth to make it seem palatable. Thieves present just enough truth to make something seem like it is genuinely true. Like the preacher who speaks the truth of God's overwhelming love and then applies that unconditionally to everyone to affirm all sorts of sin as though you can live any way you please and God will just be loving. Or the preacher who speaks the truth of God's abundant provision and applies that solely materially so that you get the idea that God's desire for your life is for you to be rich and wealthy because God is a provider. There's always just enough truth to make it seem palatable. The threat of false teaching and false shepherds is no less real for those of us who belong to the good shepherd. And the means by which God will protect his sheep will be that his followers are constantly recalibrating their hearing. They're constantly recalibrating their hearing so that it is in tune with the voice of the good shepherd, so that we can detect false teaching. So a question for us, are you tuning your hearing to detect the voice of the good shepherd? What I mean by that is, are you immersing yourself in Scripture daily so that when charlatans come giving you some sort of message that sounds like Scripture, you realize that it is absolute garbage, simply wrapped up in truth, and you can tell what that is. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might sin, that I might not sin against you. Likewise, we must store up the word of God in our hearts so that we would detect the voice of thieves and robbers. We must store up the word, or like Paul says in Colossians, we must let the word of Christ dwell within us richly. It must make its home within us. It must occupy every part of our being so that when we hear 
the voice and you don't need to be an academic theologian. You simply need to have a desire to come to the word of God in humility. And when we do that, when we allow the word of Christ to dwell within us richly, we detect the voice of thieves and robbers because our hearing is calibrated to be in tune with the good shepherd. Now, in contrast to the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus as the good shepherd comes to give life and life abundantly. And here's where we will uh, draw to a close as we look at this abundant life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus has spoken about life many times before in in various ways, simply life that is in him or eternal life, actually over 20 times already through the first nine chapters. But what is this abundant life that Jesus is talking about here? It is the eternal life that is solely found in Jesus Christ. It is life that can only come about by losing your old life, which is to say that you must die to yourself to follow Jesus. It is the life that can only come when you don't cling to your life anymore because you've seen how immeasurably treasure, treasurable this life is. It comes as you enter through the door that Jesus has spoken of. This life, this fullness of life, it is the new life that Christ has brought about by actually entering into creation. Just like in the very beginning of John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This life comes about because Jesus enters into his own creation to recreate man who had been corrupted by Adam's sin so that he comes as the second and better Adam to give life when the first Adam lost it. And the key aspect of this abundant life that Jesus talks about, where the sheep have good pastures and still waters, is that it is not simply about a better physical life. It's not simply about a better material life. That's not what he's talking about. It is pointing to the spiritual reality of life in Christ. It's pointing far beyond simply a better physical life. Anyone can give you a better physical life. Only Jesus can give you true life. It is a similar picture to John chapter 4. If you remember Jesus talking with the woman at the well and the question was, well, where are the true worshipers going to worship? Are they going to worship on this mountain in Jerusalem or are they going to worship at Mount Gerizim? Where is the physical location? And Jesus says it's not about that. God is now looking for worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. God is calling worshipers to worship him that transcends physical location. It's about a spiritual reality. So abundant life and these good pastures is not so much about a where, as though where is it, but it's about a who, as in who is bringing us to them, who is ruling, who is shepherding us in that life, in those good pastures. Abundant life is life that is experienced anywhere in the world, in any situation, so long as the good shepherd is there. That's the abundant life. You could be in the most horrific of life's circumstances, in financial destitution, in terminal illness. And the abundant life is available. The abundant life is there because it's not about a physical circumstance. It's about a spiritual reality that transcends 
all of that. Look at the language in verse 9, in the second half of verse 9, where Jesus describes uh, the sheep. He says they will be saved and they will go in and out and find pasture. The, the picture here is that of sheep who are unconcerned with physical location. They're going in and out. They're out of that sheepfold. Now they're in a new one where they can go in and out. They can roam freely because they're under the care of the good shepherd. That's the picture here. So we are not primarily looking for physical pastures. We're not primarily looking for better finances or better housing or better relationships. That's not what we're looking for. We are looking to our good shepherd who lifts us above our circumstances. This is what Jesus is offering. This is why Paul in Romans 8, 36 could take the words of the psalmist. When the psalmist said, we are like sheep, led to the slaughter. That, that's a picture of God's people in a sense. We are like sheep led to the slaughter. And Paul could hold that truth in saying, yes, at times God's people are like sheep led to the slaughter. He himself of all people knew that. And yet he could say in all these things, in tribulations, in distress, in persecutions, in famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword, in all of these things where it looks like we're sheep led to the slaughter, we are actually more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're actually more than conquerors because the good shepherd is with us. The good shepherd will tend to us. The good shepherd will carry us forever. The abundant life here is Life that is lived in such close proximity and intimacy with the Good Shepherd. Such close proximity and intimacy with Christ. That though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though we suffer, though we are in tribulation and distress, we do not fear. We know our Shepherd will care for us. Here's the great difference. The world looks for these good pastures by changed circumstances, by material comforts, through primarily physical means. We have good pastures under the care of the good shepherds so that in the greatest of trials, in the greatest of tribulations, there are, like the psalmist says, quiet waters, there is someone who is restoring our soul. There is the goodness and mercy of our Savior following us all the days of our lives. This is the abundant life. These are the good pastures. And a final warning, or rather exhortation, to those of us who have heard uh, the word, the voice of Jesus calling us out, we ought to constantly take great comfort in the very fact that the good shepherd remains caring for us. He remains, we remain rather, in such close intimacy and proximity with him. And then a final exhortation to those who may not have heard the voice of Jesus. Maybe it is today that you are hearing the voice of Jesus. You are hearing the word proclaimed. And the picture is so clear of you being in the sheepfold, being in this place where you ought not to be, being called out by the good shepherd who says, come and have life in me. Lay down your life. It's worthless anyway. Come and have the treasures of heaven in me. The good shepherd calling you to come out. This is what it means to be part of the church. By very definition, the word for church, ecclesia, means called out ones. Jesus is the good shepherd calls us out. 
to have life in him. If you hear the voice, you must respond by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray and then we will sing before we take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of the Good Shepherd. This picture that is steeped in all of your uh, promises from thousands of years ago that you will be the shepherd who tends his flock. You carry us in your bosom. You, you were always going to be the good shepherd. You always have been. And in Jesus, you have revealed so clearly. He is the one who seeks out the lost sheep, who brings them into his care. We, like sheep, were going astray. And now we have come to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And how beautiful that is. We rejoice in this fact. We rejoice in the reality that this abundant life that Christ has given us is a life that lifts us above our circumstances so that in any situation, in any place in the world, we have good pastures. We are under the care of the good shepherd. Please help us to rejoice in that more and more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.